worth of praise, and then I remembered that I had to preach. Well, you know, when I preach, I don't whisper. Amen? And so I was just kind of letting it all flow, and I think by the end of that message, I kind of lost it. But uh, I've regained it, praise God. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to share with you today. Friends, listen. At no other time in Christian history did the church of Jesus Christ experience phenomenal growth, marvelous miracles, pulsating power, and unstoppable boldness than it did in the first few weeks of its existence. So it makes good sense that if we want some of that, amen, that if we will study, if we will apply how the first church grew, then we here at Bethel Baptist Church might be able to keep going, keep growing, and praise God, keep glowing, amen? Now, the book of Acts tells us how rapidly the church was adding believers. Y'all, it was phenomenal. It was miraculous. For on the day of Pentecost, we're told of those who gladly believed, about 3,000 were added. Say added. 3,000, y'all, were added. And then we're told in chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord added, say added. The Lord added believers to the church daily. Whoa. Added to the church daily those who are being saved. Friends, did you know that not even persecution could stop the church from growing? In chapter 4, verse 4, we're told that 5,000 men were added. Say added. 5,000 were added. Now, if we assume that those men were married and they had 2.5 children, amen, we can assume that that brings the church an extra 20,000 some odd people. In chapter 5, verse 14, we're told that believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Say added. Multitudes of both men and women. But today, we're going to find that the word of God began to spread. The word of God began to spread and the number of disciples multiplied. How many of you know that there's a big difference between adding and multiplying? I don't know about you, but I'm into this multiplication idea. I love when we add to the body. I love when people come to Christ and are added to the kingdom of heaven. But can you imagine multiplying? Multiplying. But get this. At the most exciting moment in all of church history, when the church wasn't just adding believers, but was multiplying believers, we find that some problems came up. Amongst the people. When Satan couldn't stop the church by persecution. When Satan couldn't stop the church with internal corruption. He said, I got it. 
I'll use a little bit of distraction. I'll try to get the church to fight amongst themselves. If I can't get to them from the outside, I'll have to go to the inside. See, some felt that they were being neglected. Some felt that they were being neglected of God's blessings through the church. Let's just read about that in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, beginning in the verse first, the Bible says, Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, y'all get that right? Some great things were going on in this church, y'all. The number of disciples were multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. That is the Jewish Christians by the non-Jewish Greek-speaking Christians. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. They weren't getting what they thought they deserved. Verse 2. And then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples. Multitude means thousands. Y'all getting this right? The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men, get this, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Everybody was happy. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Then, say then. Here we go, y'all. After that happened, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many priests were obedient to the faith. This morning, we're going to look at four ways. Four ways that you and I, that Bethel Baptist Church, might experience this incredible multiplication that we might experience the multiplying that was experienced by the first church because they wisely handled growing pains. Let's take a look. First of all, I see in our passage that handling growing pains demands discernment. Look again in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. You see, most of the time, problems in the church are really just a matter of perspective. Do you view problems in your life and in the church as an obstacle 
or as an opportunity. Are the problems in the church and in your life obstacles that hinder or opportunities that provide you a blessing? You see, in Jewish society, much like our own, widows and orphans needed the most charitable help. And this problem that we read about here in verse 1 came about for several reasons. One, the problems occurred because behind the scenes, listen to this, behind the scenes, Satan was busy trying to cause division. He was trying to cause division. The second possible problem, or reason that the problems occurred, was that they may have occurred because there were so many different people in the church. Anytime you get a lot of different people with different ideas and different opinions, you're likely to have some problems. Amen? Amen? Y'all with me? Y'all sleeping? Y'all with me? Okay, here we go. But listen, problems also may have happened because of this reason. When the church begins to grow, the important things sometimes can slip between the cracks. Sometimes the important things can slip between the cracks when we're experiencing these growing pains. Even in a loving church like Bethel. Even in a spirit-filled church like ours. And so what I found is that often success in the church is the source of our problems. If we could just stay the size we're at, well, we wouldn't have no more problems, would we? But you go to growing, you go to bringing in more people, more differences, more different opinions, then all of a sudden Satan's going to say, i got to put a stop to this. I better get busy in that church. i got to cause some division because that church is growing. The church was experiencing growing pains, and it made it very difficult for the leaders of the church to minister to everybody that needed ministering. You see, when a church grows, we must be constantly evaluating and constantly changing the way we do things. For this church, the way that they handled the welfare of widows had to change. They were going, being neglected, and that had to change. But listen, complaining is not the way to change something. Amen? Complaining don't work. That's not the way to change things. We're not only to point out the problems, that's real easy to do, ain't it? We don't just point out the problems, we also come forward and offer a solution. Maybe we need to get busy thinking about the alternatives that will suit and build and edify the entire church. You see, friends, many churches are destroyed by a root of bitterness. Many churches are destroyed by a spirit of complaining. God may be working in marvelous ways. I mean, souls are being saved. Ministries are growing. But then somebody gets it in their head that they're not appreciated. 
And what do they start doing? They start complaining. Suddenly, folks begin to wonder, well, why is God's work not progressing? Why? Why is there so little evidence of God's power in the church? Why? Why are more people being saved? Instead of looking inward, they start looking outward. Instead of looking in the mirror, they start pointing fingers. And it's all because a root of bitterness has sprung up. So, when you're handling growing pains, and y'all, we are. We got growing pains, but they're good growing pains. When we're handling growing pains, that demands that we be very discerning. It demands that we use discernment. Is it an obstacle or an opportunity? It's all a matter of perspective. But here's something else. Handling growing pains also requires determination. Check out verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint in this business. How in the world were the apostles going to deal with this trouble? How were they going to deal with this major problem? Well, there's several ways that they could have. Many ways that they could have dealt with this problem, they could have just ignored it. Maybe if you ignore the problem long enough, it'll go away. Does that ever happen? No. I read about some college boys who decided to steal the college's mascot. It was a live goat. So they decided they were going to steal this goat and they were going to bring it into the dorm room. And so they had this great plan. They were going to smuggle it under the, the height of night and bring it into their room until someone said, well, what about the smell? Another guy said, well, the, co the goat's just going to have to get used to it. Listen, ignoring a dead skunk does not get rid of the smell. Y'all ever been traveling down the road? You straddle the, you straddle the skunk, right, in your car? You say, man, thank goodness I didn't get a whiff of that. And then about, about half a mile down the road, you say, holy smoke, what is that smell? It was that stinking skunk, right? Ignoring the dead skunk does not get rid of the smell. We've got to address problems. When things arise, we've got to address those problems and at least try things that will be viable solutions to those problems. You can't just ignore problems. Two, they could have resented the problem. I mean, somebody's pointing out their ministry is less than what it should be, kind of criticizing them. They could have resented it. They could have taken that personally. Say, man, we're doing all we can. They could have resented it, taken it personally, and reacted with a bad attitude. Once a famous painter named Whistler, and Whistler was painting this guy. And after he finished, the person that he painted said, surely you don't call that a great work of art. And he said, I'm sorry, I didn't have much to work with. Amen. Listen, reacting with a bad attitude. Reacting to criticism with a bad attitude doesn't solve problems. It only creates new ones. So we receive the criticism, and then we start deciphering 
how can we make this problem a solution? But they also could have overreacted to the problem. See, many times when somebody criticizes us, we're tempted to overreact. We're tempted to blow our top, get angry, even before we check out if maybe it's true or not. Right? If somebody brings something to your attention, first thing you ought to do is say, well, is it true? Is it something I need to address? See, if we don't think, sometimes the solution is more deadly than the problem because we overreact. Listen, y'all, in a church, in a group of people this size, problems are going to occur. It's going to happen. Right? The problems will occur. But listen, that's part of what makes us better. Making viable, good solutions is part of what makes us better. Better people, better church, a stronger body of Christ. So instead of ignoring or resenting or overreacting to problems, the apostles face their problems with determination. They said, you know what? This is a for real problem. This is real. And we are going to get through this together. We're going to get through this problem. We're going to overcome this problem together. You see, every problem in the church gives us an opportunity to do one of three things. One, it gives you an opportunity to examine how effective is your ministry. Is it reaching everybody from the newborns to the elderly and everyone in between? Because a good ministry will. It will also give you an opportunity to exercise faith, both in the Lord and one another. You know what's so cool about being the pastor is that I get to see all the things that all of you do. You may not see all the things that everyone does, but I get to be a part of that. I get to witness that. I get to see what God is doing through each and every one of you in your individual ministries. And it gives us an opportunity to exercise faith both in God and in one another. But it also gives us an opportunity to express love. Express love in the way we work out a problem. Hey, man, it's just a matter of perspective. Ain't no problem. The devil might have meant for it to be an obstacle. God meant for it to be an opportunity. And we're going to view it as such. When we think about our children's life group rotation. We think, okay, first of all, how effective is that ministry? Well, it's kind of limping along right now. Can I be honest with you? We've got little children and we've got older children. And both of those groups need to be disciples. They both need a viable life group, just like you do. So we've got to examine how effective is it. Then we have to be able to exercise faith, not only that God will provide teachers and leaders and helpers, both for the little ones and for the older ones, but we have to have faith in one another. That if it's within the realm of possibility for you to be a part of that rotation of teachers and helpers and leaders, if it's a part of possibility, I have to know that I can have faith in you to do that. But it's also an incredible opportunity 
to express love. Man, more than anybody else in the church, our little ones need to know they're loved. If they can't come to church early with their parents so that their parents can go to a life group of their own, if they can't come and know that they're, they're going to be loved here by the people of God, let me tell you something, they ain't going to come for very long. They need to know. And the Lord needs to know that we are going to take this heritage, that we're going to take these children, and we're going to teach them to the best of our ability, and we will have to go begging for people to take care of them. How's the Lord speaking to you through that? See, we've got to face our problems with determination. How are we going to do that? Because handling growing pains requires that. It requires discernment, and it requires determination. But handling growing pains also requires something I'm horrible at, delegation. Here we go. Verse 4. But we will give ourselves. Say give ourselves. Man, that's what ministry is all about. You may benefit from it. You may get blessed by it. But it ain't about you. It's about giving yourself. Continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Now, the apostles had already declared in verse 2 that it wasn't desirable for those called by God to pray and preach to leave the word of God and to leave their knees in faithful prayer. But here in verse 4, they say, we are declaring with one unified voice with the church that we are going to give ourselves continually to the ministry of prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. That means we're going to be praying for you and we're going to teach the word of God to you and we're going to have to rely on you to take up the other ministries. It'd be so easy to read that and think, boy, them apostles sure were full of themselves. They thought they were too good to take care of children. They thought they were too good to teach the older children. They thought they were too good to clean tables. So why don't we just pick out seven flunkies that we can get to do that work? That way we can devote ourselves to the, to the spiritual work. The spiritual work of faithful prayer and preaching the word of God. But listen, if you read it that way, you are missing the mark. You are missing the point, the meaning of the whole passage. Because it's not the apostles who are doing it here. It's the church. The church is the one saying it. It's the church that's convinced that the primary calling of these apostles is to proclaim the word of God and to pray with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength, praying for the people of God in the midst of that church. It was the church that was convinced of that. It wasn't the apostles. So instead of complaining, the church delegates the responsibility. There ain't no hint. That these apostles were unwilling to serve tables. They'd already been doing it up to that point. 
There's no hint that the apostles thought that this work was inferior. There's no hint that they thought that it was beneath their dignity to do that. It's entirely a question of what God had called them to do. When was the last time you asked yourself, God, what have you called me to do? What have you called me to do? Many of you know exactly what you've been called to do. Many of you maybe don't. What have I been called to do? Again, i got to confess to you, as your pastor, this is my biggest downfall. For some silly reason, instead of asking one of you to start a ministry, to fill a need, instead of asking you to take care of a task or to serve in some way, I just kind of think to myself, All right, well, I'll just go and try to do it myself. But listen, I have come to the conclusion that every time that I do something myself, I am depriving someone else of a blessing from the Lord God himself. And it ain't fair. And so this morning I'm asking you to forgive me of that. To forgive me of depriving other brothers and sisters of the opportunity to receive blessings from God that come in the work of the ministry. Handling growing pains demands discernment. It requires determination. But it also requires the entire church to delegate responsibility for the things that need to be done in our midst. Last point, we'll go home. Handling growing pains produces dividends. Look at verse 7. Then, say then. You see, when, when they started handling their growing pains with discernment, with determination, and with delegation, the Bible says then. Say then. Then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Then, then it happened. The first benefit, the first result, the first dividend of handling this problem right was that unity was restored. Everybody got on the same page. Everybody realized that we're in this together. Everybody realized that the body is an organism. Everybody realized that every part must function. Unity was restored. And according to verse 5, their solution pleased everybody. The whole multitude, thousands of people, thousands of disciples got on the same page. How is that possible, right? The Holy Spirit of God, right? They, their solution pleased the whole multitude. And when people begin to get unified in purpose, unified in their goal, the greatest dividend that occurs is that every single spiritual gift in the church is utilized. Every one of them is utilized. We won't be unbalanced. We, might, we won't do kids real well, but seniors horribly. We won't 
pray good, but preach awful. Right? We'll use all of the gifts of the church. All of the gifts of all the people will be utilized. And then as the church grows, we'll realize this ain't a time to get lost in the crowd. This is the time to get involved in the ministry of the church. Friends, people who study church growth, they say that in order for our church to be truly healthy, at least 60% of its members must be actively involved in ministry. So if we want the church to be successful, we've got some work to do. We need to make sure that at least 60% are actively involved in some sort of ministry in the church. If the widows are being neglected, it's time to help them out. If the children's life group needs more teachers, it's time to step up. If our outreach efforts need more focus, let's get with it. Let's not complain. Let's be willing to step up and to serve the Lord. Did you know you were saved to serve? Did you know you were saved to serve? Amen. See, so often we think of serving the Lord and we think, you know, I think serving the Lord is kind of like this. Yes, Lord, I'm ready to pay the ultimate price. I'm going to give all of me to you. I'm going to give all of me for your glory. We think that giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table and saying, Here, God, it's all yours. Here's my life. I'm giving it all to you. Use it as you will. But in reality, serving the Lord is like taking that $1,000 bill and taking it to the bank and cashing it in for quarters. And you go through your life and you put 25 cents into that life and 50 cents into that life. Then you go across the street to your neighbor and you put 25 cents into that life. Listening to a kid's trouble instead of saying, get lost. Giving a cup of water to an old man while you're, while you're visiting a nursing home. Sharing with a lost person what Jesus Christ has done for you in your life. See, most of the time, giving our life to God, y'all, it ain't glory. It's done with those little acts of love a quarter at a time all through your life until you have no more quarter to give. You know, it'd be easy to go out in a flash of glory, but it's harder, a whole lot harder to live the Christian life little by little all along the way. All along your life. And then verse 7 says, Then 
Then when their growing pains were being handled with discernment and with determination and with proper delegation, you'll find a sense of unity. And all of a sudden, everybody gets involved. And that's the goal of God in the church, y'all. Y'all hearing me? Say amen. amen. Here's the goal of God in His church is that everyone is involved in ministry. Everyone involved in ministry. But we have a tendency to think, well, showed up Sunday morning for church. I even made it to our life group this morning. So I guess I have fulfilled my obligation to God. The only problem with that is, is that if you're not doing something for others, if you're not telling others about Christ, if you are not helping others get to know Him through active ministry, you're only kidding yourself. Because you sure aren't kidding God. You're saved to serve the Lord and others. Then, the word of God will spread. And the number of disciples will multiply. Two words jump out out of that verse. Spread and multiply. And that indicates that the sharing of the good news of Jesus and the, the, the growing of the church in ministry are continuous activities. You see, you're saved to serve not just this week, not just this month, not just for this year. You're saved to serve for the entirety of your life a quarter at a time, little by little along the way. I posted last week on Facebook, shared it really, the description of a disciple. Some of you may have seen it. It floored me. Because of its reality. And it said that a disciple is someone who is moved from being a recipient of God's mission to one who is now responsible for God's mission. Would you say that you're a disciple? Would you say that you're saved? Are you actively involved in the ministry of the church? Do you see how intricately those are overlapping and how intricately important they are to one another? Saved people serve people. You can't do one without the other, y'all. You can't be saved but only come in and clock in on Sunday morning. Because that's not the call of God upon your life. The call of God upon your life is to serve God and to serve people. Are you a disciple? If you can't say that you are, then can I give you your starting point this morning? Your starting point is that you get saved. That you get saved from the penalty of your sin. The Bible says that the good news is 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised again according to the Scriptures. You can be saved this morning. Saved from the penalty of your sin. And if you can believe that, and you can turn from your sinful lifestyle, God promises that He will not only save you and take you to heaven, but He'll also help you to live for Him today. Would you like to get in on the ground floor of what God is doing here at Bethel Baptist Church? You can. It's your choice. You can declare that you're saved, but choose not to serve. But what does that really say? What does that really say? We invite you to join us here at Bethel. And my prayer as your pastor is that we don't settle for 60%. We're shooting for 100, amen? We're shooting for 100% actively involved in the ministry of this church. There's so much to do. So much to do in every area of the church. There's so much to do. And we present this to you today and offer you an invitation to join us to join us in the ministry of the church where you can be received here and where you can make a difference for the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Father, this word you've shared this morning has been awfully convicting. Lord, how you spoke to me about my shortfalls and, Lord, my sin and, Lord, my challenges and the way I ignore some parts of the ministry, Father. It's been awfully piercing. It's been convicting, Lord. But true conviction causes change. And so, Lord, my prayer is, is that 